message series the last few weeks called Epic. Epic. The kingdom, the gospel, and the community of the king. What tale have we all fallen into? We're sort of pulling back the curtain and trying to understand the bigger picture of really all that's going on in life and what God is doing because we have a place in that picture and it should radically change and redefine our life. There's a Danish theologian and uh, philosopher, religious author and writer by the name of Soren Kierkegaard who said this, life can only be understood backwards but it must be lived forwards. Life can only be understood backwards, but we must live it forwards. So a week from Saturday, I have an opportunity in my life, and uh, it comes around, I guess, every few years, and it's my high school reunion. And have you ever been to a high school reunion? I'm from more of a smaller town environment back in the Midwest, and uh, so we didn't have an awful lot of people in our class, 123, I think, something like that. But every five years is the high school reunion. And a week from Saturday, we're on. And I don't know, I think about maybe 40 people are showing up at it, but uh, I'm not sure why I feel obligated to go back to it, but I I think there's just some value in it and staying connected. You see people on Facebook sort of still doing their lives from back that many years ago. And this high school reunion, guess what number it is? Number 40. Now, that'll make you feel old, right? Now, 40, my goodness, Carrie, you, you are an old dude, right? But um, I was thinking, now, what kind of conversations am I going to have with my classmates? And uh, it's interesting because you sort of stay the same, but then you sort of change. And there's some things that are different. And I thought this probably would be a good question to ask them. If I knew then what I know now, what do you think? If I knew then what I know now, if I knew in high school or maybe college age what I know now, what would I do different? So I ask you to interface with that question. If you had to answer that question, if I knew then what I know now, And I'm going to do a walk around mic and see if there's any words of wisdom in this auditorium today. Anybody want to take a stab at that? And I'm sorry, if you're younger, maybe it's like if I knew in uh, preschool (laughs) what I know now when I'm a junior in high school, I might have done something different. I don't know. Anybody want to just sort of take a stab at that answer? If I knew then what I know now. We'll start with the young people over here. That's good. Stand up. you got to say your first name. My name is Hunter. Um, if I knew then what I know now, I would definitely have a lot more courage for myself. Um, I would have pushed myself a lot more and just finally took that first step to kind of change, you know, and I didn't. But now I know that, and I'm wanting to change and take that step forward. That's great, Hunter. And you're young, so you can keep doing that. Ho, ho, ho. How you doing, Mr. Newlywed? Good to see you. I haven't said hi to you yet. All right. Hi, Carrie. I'm Pierce. I just got married. Anyways, um, <laughs> if I knew then what I know now, I honestly don't think I'd change anything because my future was so bright and I didn't even know it. <laughs> you would have worried less, maybe. Would have worried less. Would have worried less. There you go. All right. 
If I knew then what I know now. And, I mean, you can be transparent with this at a really deep level or if you can give something surfacy, so whatever. But I, I think it's really a great question to ask. All right, over here. we got two guys, two senior guys right here in this row. Here we go. <laughs> if, if I knew then Dwayne, what I knew, Dwayne. I'm Dwayne. I'm sorry. Uh, I would take life not so seriously. You put your head down to the grindstone and run, mm. and when you get 72 years old, you've missed out a lot of stuff. So have a good time, young people. Have a good time. <laughs> Very good, Dwayne. All right. Hi, my John. name is John, and you can read into this what you want. <laughs> if I knew then what I know now, I would have never drank. There you go. <laughs> all right. All right. We're, we're just going to do the next row back here. Hi, my name is Laura. Um, if I knew then what I know now, uh, I wouldn't have been so social in high school and ditched. But, but, wait, 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 but, there's a but to it. Like Dwayne said, enjoy life. I did. But then I went back to school and I did good. And you finished it out. I finished it out. <laughs> That's great. All right. This is for all the singles out here. If I knew then what I know now, I didn't meet my husband until I was 28. And I had a lot of not-so-hot <laughs> relationships before then. And if I would have known that God is faithful to his word... And he will bring you someone, so just be patient. The good ones will come. That's great, Beth. And Devin's back here on the sound. You must have been the hot one, Devin. That's great. That was good. We good. We'll move over here in the central part. What do we got? Any hands? I got one down this aisle here. We'll come back this way. Um, my name is Christian, and if I knew... Then what I know now, I don't think I would have changed anything just because I didn't make a lot of mistakes in my life. But because of it, I learned to appreciate the beauty of life, my family, and definitely this, this country. That's great, Christian. So through those hard times, we'll go over here then. Uh, I'm Adriana, and if I knew then what I know now, I would have always known how loved I am by my God. I would have always known how much I was loved by my God. Here's some words of wisdom. Is that, is that an age comment? Because I'm not approaching my 40th high school no, reunion. You're fine. You're fine. 30, you're 34, fine. in case you're wondering. Um, Pierce, Pierce said it first. If I knew then what I know... Oh, I'm Frank, by the way. If I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't change anything. Because the miles on the tires and the scratches on the car are what made me who I am and what put me here with this beautiful person and all of you beautiful people. So I didn't like a lot of it, but it, believe it or not, I'm humble, more humble, more humble than I was before. So I wouldn't change it. Thanks, Frank. All right. Anybody else want to jump in on this? You get a share, words of wisdom? We're going to... Go here, Saint, and then we'll be back here. Hi, I'm Saint. Um, if, I, if I knew then what I know now, 
I probably would have um, realized people aren't thinking about you all the time. <laughs> I think a lot of times as young people and as adults, we're like, oh, man, everyone's thinking about what I'm doing. No one cares. Everyone's thinking the same thing. Everyone's going, huh, I'm, what are, what are, they're thinking about me. And that's not really the case. Just be yourself, you know. <laughs> that's great, Say That's great. Hi, my name is Robert. If I knew what I know now, I think I would seek wise counseling a lot earlier than trying to take on the battles by myself. Well, that's good. That is great. That is great. Well, you can write down your comment on that if you want on the back of the Connect cards, and, and we'll publish it online. No. Um, I want to just encourage you to not stray too far from that question when we jump into what God has for us today, because he is calling us to be able to have perspective, because without perspective, you will not find purpose. And scripture is clear about the perspective that we need to have as human beings, and especially as people who would claim to be Christ followers. And if you're not a Christ follower this morning, then the perspective that the scriptures highlight, I think, is a perspective of tremendous joy and hope that's going to give you some purpose today when you leave that maybe you never knew was out there to grab a hold of. If I knew then what I know now. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is um, wrapped up in a multiplicity of dynamics that we've talked about. That the kingdom of God is referencing a king. That the kingdom of God is referencing a rule and reign. In particular, that the king, King Jesus, is redeeming and governing things in the world, even things that we cannot see. And the kingdom of God is referencing a kingdom people. A people who are the community of the king. The kingdom of God is referencing uh, laws and decrees, but it's really sort of a guideline, instructions, wisdom as to how to live life, how God made us to live. And then ultimately, the kingdom of God, one of the elements that we talked about in the last week or so, has to do with a place that it's a, a geographical place, but it's a place where the community of the king gathers. And not just referencing in this life, but also in the life to come. And we sang about that a little bit this morning with the last song. So the kingdom of God is immense. It's the rule and reign of the king over a community of people who love and adore him, seek to follow him. And he has a plan and a place and a purpose. And we mentioned that the kingdom of God has two dynamics to it. That the kingdom of God has a present age and it has a coming age. And I want to flip the question and say this related to the kingdom of God. Not necessarily the question, if I knew then, looking back, what I would do differently now. But I want to ask this question, if I know, knew now what I will know then. If I knew now what I will know then. One second on the other side of this life will radically redefine the whole life. That's why Kierkegaard said that you need to define life backwards, but you have to live it forwards. 
And so if you don't have that perspective, then it's hard to really grab a hold of purpose. And it doesn't matter if you are in preschool, if you are in high school, if you are a young adult, if you are someone who is in uh, the middle years of your life trying to figure out, you know, jobs and careers still, or maybe you are um, in your senior years and you're looking back. And we had a reflection of that across this room this morning. All of us are given one life. And this life that we're given is defined by God. We are created in the image of God and we are created for a purpose. And the purpose for which we created has to do with being a part of the kingdom that he is creating and moving forward into the eons of eternity. And we said in this aspect of the kingdom of God that eternity always has been. There's God with eternity before time and then we're headed towards God uh, and eternity through time. He created time. We are placed in a, I don't want to say a bubble, but we're placed in a time-space continuum. And we have to figure this out because we are eternal beings. We will live forever. And Scripture says a lot about how that forever experience is going to be lived out. And so would it not make sense for us to go to the future, define life backwards, and then live it forwards? What Would you do different today, tomorrow, this season of your life, if I knew now what I will know then? I'm a little bit of a morbid kind of person at times when I see people pass away and die, sometimes celebrities, sometimes other kinds of uh, professional people, other kind of things, people's names that we know. And I think to myself when they pass, oh my They just didn't cease to exist. They now exist in eternity future. I wonder what they would come back and say to us now. Now that they've seen what's there on the other side. And so I don't know if that hurts your brain to try to go there today. But there's value in it. Because perspective is going to add purpose to your life. And that perspective has to do with the kingdom of God. And what he is doing through all of time. So where I'd like to go today is in your scriptures, if you want to turn there, you can follow along on some of the verses that I'll have up here, is in 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul, who was named Saul before he came to be a Christ follower, was God's first missionary. And he traveled a lot. And he got into the bastions of some pretty tough uh, worldly situations and worldly philosophy and worldly thinking. He spent a number of months in a place called Corinth, which is in Greece. I've been to Corinth. I've seen some of the ruins. And it's sort of weird when you're in those kinds of places because you're looking at it and you're going, wow, real people lived here. There's the real ruins and there was life and vibrancy in this area all the way back to the New Testament times and way back even before that into the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. And so here's Paul writing a letter to the people in Corinth concerning the big picture. He had been with them. He had preached to them. He had articulated reality to them. And some of them were getting a little wobbly. Or they were being pressed in by the culture around them that was saying, do you really believe that? And one of the main things that they were being chided and kidded about was the idea that once somebody dies, there can be a resurrection of that body. 
Are you kidding me? You really believe in the resurrection? And so Paul takes this subject matter on and he begins to articulate and dialogue with them concerning the resurrection. And he begins to unpack the idea of, well, what if there isn't a resurrection? How does that change things? So he's thinking forward orientation concerning life. Because just passing through this life is not all that there is. Now, you may doubt that today. You may believe, hey, this is the 70, 80, 90 years maybe God, uh, maybe I would be so blessed with. It's it. It's done. And, and it's over. But if I put you in a room by yourself and had you actually ask God, if there was a God, ask, is there something more? Something in your subconscious mind would have to say, maybe there is. You cannot be dogmatic that this is the only life that there is. Because, as we've spoken before in the last few weeks, in Ecclesiastic, it says that God has put eternity in our hearts. There's something that says there's got to be more when a loved one passes away. And, and some of you lost loved ones in this last week, a friend or a brother. I understand it's like, is that it? It's got to be more. Is that we are created in this image knowing that we are eternal beings, that we are spiritual beings. We also made mention of the idea that we are not human beings seeking to try to have a spiritual experience in this life. We are spiritual beings who are actually having a human experience for the time-space continuum in which we live for the number of years that we've been given. Present age, age to come, living between the times, whatever it may be. So with this idea of taking on some of the skepticism of his secular day, and even some of the skepticism within the body of Christ concerning what the future would hold, the Apostle Paul says these words in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and I've chose to begin uh, with verse 1, um, though we can't unpack everything that he's fully saying in this chapter. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. In other words, he's saying, hello, remember when I was there for those 17 months and we articulated and talked about the big picture and all that God is doing. Do you remember the gospel that I preach to you? Now, the word gospel, the Greek word is evangelion, which means good news. And you need to understand this because what the early missionaries were doing, beginning with someone like Paul, where they were unpacking something much bigger than the little myopic vision that sometimes happens in our churches today. Oh, you just need to get saved from your sins and then try to live a happy life. And one of these days you get to go to heaven if you're good. That is not the gospel. The gospel is much bigger. It's comprehensive. It takes in the whole aspect of life. It takes in the kingdom of God. In fact, the gospel should be better referred to as the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this is good news. It's not only good news for you this morning, no matter what your spiritual background is in life. It's good news for your friends and your family members and your co-workers tomorrow. You're carrying with you some really, really good news. And the good news is what he's about to unpack. And he says this. I pre the, 
remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And salvation here doesn't have to do just with being saved and forgiven from your sins, which is true of the gospel because of Christ's work of what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. But you are saved unto a whole new dimension of life called the kingdom of God. You are taking from this small, myopic, little, sometimes painful life you live, and you are transported into something incredibly eternal, a meta-narrative, a master story, an epic, and you get to be in it. And so when you're saved, you're being saved by the gospel of the kingdom into something much bigger than the small thinking that we've reduced the gospel to sometimes in our current culture. For what I received, verse 3, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. Now, this passage here is really critical passage. Because there's confusion sometimes as to what the gospel is, what was being presented, what was being preached. But sort of in a nice, succinct way, the Apostle Paul sums it up here. It's something called the kerygma. And it has four components. And these were preached at every place. And in fact, churches today, if we are not on it, on these four things, then we are off target. The four things are this. Christ died for our sins. Jesus came. He lived. He was the Messiah. And he showed a different way. Not by lording it over people or taking a political reign at that time. He died in full humility and brokenness and obedience to the Father. Christ died. Fact. And he died for a purpose, for our sins. The second thing was he was buried. He wasn't just dead and then, you know, passed around or disappeared. He was buried. He was placed in a tomb. And the stone was rolled in front of the tomb. And the Roman guard stood outside because he was a troublemaker. It was perceived not only uh, by the Romans, but also by the Jewish leaders of that day. So he was buried in a tomb. Fact. But then fact, he was raised. He was raised from the dead. He didn't like just disappear. The disciples didn't steal the body. They weren't expecting some type of resurrection or, or trying to make things look good. It wasn't that he really wasn't fully dead. He was pierced through the side. Romans knew how to kill people. He was dead. And so he didn't just swoon and fall asleep and then come back. There's all kinds of uh, debates that can be made around the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those are good debates to have, especially when we live in a secular culture that doubts things at every turn. 
And it's not just at Easter we need to be talking about this. We need to be talking about it day in and day out because that's a part of the gospel of the kingdom, the kerygma, that Jesus Christ, he lived, he died, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. And then it goes on, the fourth thing, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. In fact, it wasn't just to them. In the 12, in verse 6, it says, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul is saying, to one who was abnormally born. He appeared. He appeared. He appeared. He appeared. This radically changed things. You see, this wasn't a mirage. He was flesh and bones. In fact, this is the only place where it mentions that he appeared to, to 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. I mean, there's what, maybe 120, 100, uh, most 150 people in this room, if that. And you're like, think about 500 people. Jesus stood in front of them and he said, Hey, I'm alive. Here's the nail prints in my hands where the spear was placed in my side. Oh my goodness. Someone does come back from the dead. Jesus, he was dead and he was alive. Just that aspect of his death, his resurrection, and then his appearance. Just that aspect in and of itself, rocked the whole known world at that time. And the missionary Paul and others began to take this gospel and communicate it and to tell others, this is what happened, this is what happened. Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised, and he appeared, he appeared. Friends, there is no other way that a guy from a small Jewish town on the wrong side of the tracks in Israel 2,000 years ago would have changed the world like Jesus has changed the world if this event did not happen. But because Jesus did die, was buried, was raised, and appeared, it changed the world and it can change your life today. Perspective. Death is not the end for you. Death is not the end for your friend who has cancer. Death is not the end for your parent who passed away that you missed. Death is not the end. But death is a passageway, a transition into the greater understanding and reality of the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve. then. Paul says this, but if I preach that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there, <clears throat> come on now, hang with me here, everybody in Corinth. <laughs> Let's think about this together. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. So this idea of resurrection, if it's never, ever possible anywhere, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Why in the world are you gathered here this morning if there's no resurrection from the dead? 
just to see friends, to hang out. No, we're here because of the resurrection. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But if He did not raise Him, if in fact that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep or have died in Christ, well, they're lost forever. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, this is a bold statement. What he's going through then, saying, if the resurrection didn't happen, if there's not the future in the kingdom of God that he's about to depict, then we are foolish people. We're still in our sins. All that we're doing is game playing. It's futile. So why do it? If it's just about worshiping a dead man and trying to be nice and put on a code of conduct and manners and honor with our society so we look better, then we are pretty pitiful people. I pity the fool, right? I pity the fool who doesn't believe in the resurrection because what you're doing gathered here like today is foolishness. And so Paul, he comes at him pretty strong. And I can't comprehend fully what he was up against. But if he'd spent 17 months with the people in Corinth, if he had preached it, and then he'd gotten away, and then he heard all this confusion, and people were in Corinth, like Paul and others who had seen the appearance of Jesus, he's like, what are you doing? If there is no resurrection, then there is no hope. People are lost. In fact, if there is no resurrection, friends, then I would just say to this, don't don't worry about what you're doing. Just go out and live life and abuse this, abuse other people, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But, but if there's something bigger going on, then it's going to change your perspective, and it's also going to change how you live and purpose or repurpose your life. So then he gets into unpacking this kingdom of God thing more. These are great verses They're great verses for you to study much more than what we can do here this morning. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, it says this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. So he's saying, put your thinking hats on here. Let's think eternal perspective. Let's think about then so that we can redefine the now in which we live. And so he says that Christ has indeed been raised. He was the first fruits from the dead. Now, first fruits is this idea. It's the it's the very first fruit that shows up on the vine or on the tree. Uh, When I was younger, I used to grow tomato plants for my mother. And it took a lot of water to grow really healthy tomato plants. I hated tomatoes. I still do not care for tomatoes. I think it's a texture issue. But I like growing tomatoes. And one of the exciting things about a tomato bush, it was a grow, is the very first tomato that would start to turn red. And I couldn't wait until it turned red enough to pluck it and take it in and say, Mom, here's the first tomato. She goes, thank you, that's great. That's the definition of first fruits. So Paul's saying that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, (laughs) it's it's only the beginning. It's the 
first fruits of something that's more incredible that's going to be unpacked. And it has to do with the resurrection of you. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn. Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands the kingdom of God. Hands over the kingdom of God to the Father. So what you see him doing in this verse is he begins to unpack a timeline. And he was given revelation about this timeline. And the place that he starts is with Adam. Creation. Now we said again that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth isn't the actual beginning of all things. Yes, God began all things. He always has been. But it's more like the, the cosmos was void and without form. And so in the beginning of the beginning of the heavens and the earth, God created. And he placed male and female in that garden. And Adam and Eve enjoyed the presence of God. But they were also given the volitional will to choose. Because someone who is forced to love God is not like someone who's given the opportunity and willfully chooses to love God. So by definition, when God put free will and choice in the hearts and the lives of individuals, he allowed for someone to make the wrong choice for the fall of creation. And so when it says Adam and as in Adam all sinned, it's saying this, the fall of mankind happened after the creation when Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And things radically changed. They were booted from the Garden of Eden. And God since then has been on a redemptive story. As in Adam all die. That's a part of the big picture. That's a part of the epic story. And if we don't get a hold on the kingdom of God, then we don't have a rightful understanding of sin and fallenness and evil in this world. And we see it every day on the news feeds that we read. We live in a fallen, sinful world. As in Adam, all die. He then says, so in Christ, all will be made alive. Now, the two alls here are different. In Adam, all of sin, in other words, that sin then permeated its way through the human um, history, and we have all died, and we all are born in sin with a willful bent to please me, 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 and not God and others. And so, all died in Adam, but this reference, so in Christ, which means those who are in Christ, those who are the followers of Christ, those who are part of his true church, those who will rule and reign with him for eternity. In Christ, all will be made alive. That's the great hope that we have. The awakening church, fully alive in Christ and to his mission, we get the chance to become alive, even though we were dead in Adam. And that life, first of all, is a spiritual life. Some of you probably could answer the question, I wish I knew then what I know now. You could have answered it with a gospel message. I wish I knew Jesus then. Like I know him now. 
And yeah, you may have had a journey and a story of brokenness, and that's how you came to know Christ. But there's something to be said for becoming a Christ follower when you're young. There really is. And what happens is you become alive in him, spiritually alive. So Jesus Christ came, and Jesus Christ lived, and Jesus Christ died. But he died, he was buried, and he was he was raised. But each in their own turn. So Christ was the first fruits that was plucked from the... Wow, look at this. Christ, who is a part of the coming age, the age to come, has now invaded the present age. And one of the things he's invaded the present age with is the power of the resurrection. And so that's why there's an R with a little C there. The resurrection of Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection of people. And Paul's clearly articulating this. He goes on and he says this in verse 23. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. So in this in-between time, or what's referenced as the last days actually, Jesus is calling out his followers, his church. But Jesus is coming back again. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago in Acts 1. The same Jesus who was taking you to clouds will come back in like manner. This same Jesus, when he comes, those who belong to him. And those who belong to him are both those who followed him and are now dead. And those who follow him and are now still alive. That's why in Thessalonians 4 it says, The dead in Christ will rise first to meet the Lord. Then we who are still alive will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we remain with him forever. Now some people reference that as the rapture. And it can be seen that way in a particular theological bent. But the reality in the context of that for that day is the people of the king, the community of the king, would go out when the king showed up in town and they would usher the king in. Sort of this processional, oh, the king's here, the king's here, the king's here. So Paul's sort of saying that in Thessalonians, that the dead in Christ will rise first, then those who are still alive will be caught up in the clouds, and the coming of Jesus will be ushered in by those who are the followers of him. This is the second coming of Christ. This is the first resurrection. Our little one. And then he goes on to say this. I'm sorry, not him, but in Revelation it says this. And so I want to sort of put the timeline together because the part that Paul says in 1 Corinthians can be dovetailed with some other scripture, most importantly, the scripture that's found in Revelation, the last book. And it says this in Revelation 20, verse 6, the apostle John and the vision that he had. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, this is articulated in the book of Revelation. This is the only place that you find really this terminology of a thousand years. And it's referenced as the millennium. Right? Millennium means a thousand. 
And it appears that at the second coming of Christ, that there is a period of a thousand years. Now, some people would say you can't take that literally, and that's fine. There's reasons for that. There's actually different kinds of views on some of the interpretation of Scripture. But if we were to look at the timeline, there's this section of time after the resurrection, the first resurrection, the millennial reign of Christ that's a thousand years. There's three views, actually, premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism. Postmillennialism means you continue to get better and better as a society, and you usher in this perfect reign in the kingdom of God. And that was pretty much debunked after World War II when you look at human society. Amillennialism says you can't take that thousand years as a perfect literal reign, but it's actually a reign that's happening now. And there's validity to that kind of discussion. In fact, if we just stayed with the 1 Corinthians 15 passage that we were just in, then that's a great understanding of broadly uh, a millennial view. But if you're trying to dovetail it with other scripture and you believe in the literal reign of a thousand years, then you've got to put the millennial reign after the first resurrection. And that's exactly what John is doing in the book of Revelation. And he says, the dead will rise. Then those who are alive and we will reign and rule with Christ for a thousand years. Don't have time to get into it. This is a lot of big teaching I know on what's called eschatology or the study of the last days. But during that time, Satan will be bound and other things will happen. And it's a beautiful period of a thousand years. Somehow during those times that Satan is released and some other things begin to happen. We don't know who are we to write history. God's in charge, right? But we as limited finite beings are trying to understand some of the perspective, trying to sort of define life backwards so we can live it appropriately forwards. And so the millennium shows up in Scripture. And the first fifth, uh, first Corinthians 15 passage, 13, it says, Then when he comes, those who belong to him, it does not negate the opportunity for the millennium. But that's where it would fit. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, then the end will come. Then the end will come, it says, when what? The end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Dominion, authority, power has to do with the spiritual realm. And so there's this awakening aspect of what's happening in the unseen world. But there's something that's now going to be happening at the end of the millennium reign. And what is it? What is it? It has to do with a second resurrection. Revelation again, verse 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from the presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. This is referenced as the second death, the second resurrection. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There's the first resurrection when Christ comes back. A period of time called the millennium where God rules and reigns. And then it appears from 
John's revelation that there is a second resurrection of all people. All people. And in that resurrection, there's going to be accountability. And accountability ultimately comes down, yes, to what you do and did not do, but it comes down to if your name was written in the book of life. And so there's this great white throne judgment, the GWT here on this timeline. And the great white throne judgment occurs at that moment as recorded in Revelation 20. And then what happens? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the whole holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people of God, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Wow! The kingdom comes in its grand fullness. A new heaven and a new earth. The physical, political, just reign of Jesus over all the world. And the new heaven happens. And why? Because he can be among his people. The community of the king fully realized in that day. And they will be his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Praise God. Or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I hear a praise the Lord. I know I'm on a roll trying to unpack all this in such a short amount of time. But your spirit as a Christ follower should take rightful joy and go praise God. He is making all things new. Are you living in the shadow of death this morning? Are you one who is in mourning? Are you one who is crying? Maybe you are in pain. Emotional pain. Physical pain. I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus knows about it. And he's working to make all things new. And one of these days, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're a part of that first resurrection... You will have no more mourning, no more fear of death, no more crying, no more pain. For you will be a part of the eternal community of the King. What's referenced as the bride of Christ. Friends, that's the big picture. That's the big picture. Then the end will come and he hands over the kingdom. So 1 Corinthians 15, 22, you can just parse it up this way. For as in Adam all die, A, so in Christ all will be made alive, C. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits are little C. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, the first resurrection, then the end will come when he hands the kingdom over the kingdom to God the Father, the second resurrection of all people for judgment after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power in the spiritual unseen realm. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, and 26. For he has put everything under his feet. 
Now, when it says that everything has been put under his feet, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. What this is basically saying is God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, God commissioned the son to come and bring redemption and the first fruits of the resurrection over death. And through the power of the cross and the resurrection, we have the forgiveness of our sins. And that we can be ushered into a kingdom eternally. In this life, yes, but also in the life to come. And when all that is done, then Christ will turn back to God the Father. It's yours. And God will say, well done. And we move on into eternity through time. But we're in this little blip right now. Do you know what the word Google means? Oh, that's what I do with the search engine when I want to find things. Do you know it was 17 years ago today that Google.com was registered? Do you know that Google, G-O-O-G-L-E, was a misspelling? Because the real word is Google, G-O-O-G-O-L. And Google is a one with a hundred zeros behind it. And so the people that were making the search engines at that time, I think it was actually a, a graduate student, he made a mistake when he typed it in to see if that domain was available. And so they went with Google, G-O-O-G-L-E.com. So we know Google's that. I remember knowing what the word Google meant before Google ever showed up on the scene 17 years ago. That's why I had my 40th high school reunion. (laughs) Can you comprehend a Google years? You get 70 or 80. It's a little blip. But these 70 or 80 years that you're given in this little blip will define what you do A Google years from now. If I knew then what I know now, flip it, turn it around. If I could know now what I will know then, study up, discern, interact. Life groups can interact on this. What does it mean to be a part of the grander picture of the kingdom of God because you are in this little blip right here. And maybe we're right here where Jesus is coming back. I don't know. All I know is Scripture's adamant about the imminent return of Christ. It can happen at any time. Does it make a difference in your life? Does it make a difference in mine? It should. A kingdom awareness. An awareness of the king of his rule and reign, of his people, of his instructions, of his place that he's preparing for us. The kingdom awareness should lead to a paradigm shift impacting all kinds of things in our life. My thinking, my perspective, how I process my thoughts, My interpretation of Scripture, one of the saddest things is we try to interpretate Scripture without the kingdom of God as an overlay, and it's from front to finish, the kingdom of God. My identity. Your identity 
is not just some small person stuck out in space and time continuum that is trying to make the most of this life and then it's done. You are a part of the community of the king if you're a Christ follower. Your identity should shift. My gospel message. Our gospel message should change all over the place. It should change from, oh, there is a God and He created something and He wants people to be good and nice. And, uh, he, and our goal right now is to be happy and feel good and, and do the best we can. And um, I, I need not worry about God. He's not particularly too involved in my life. He's over here. He does, I do that church thing. And, and in the end, good people go to hell. I'm, I mean, no. They go to heaven, right? Is there a hell? What I just described for you is called moralistic therapeutic deism. Big fancy word. And that message is sort of the message that's just out in culture today. So it's good y'all showed up for church today. It's good. There's a God. Yeah, he loves you and you try to do your best. And let's go out and give it a good college try again this week to do good, huh? No. You're a community of the king. Let's go out and live like we will ultimately be. And it should define how we change things. My prayer life should change. The reality that Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire when he's all dead and done, then he shouldn't have control over my life today. And there's wise choices I need to make. My mission for Christ needs to change. My sufferings get redefined. My priorities redefined. My lifestyle, my lifestyle re-altered. And my calling, I have a deeper grip on what's the purpose in my existence. All those things will have a paradigm shift. If I knew then what I know now, no. If we could know now what we will know then, it will change all those things. And you and I have the opportunity to do something about it this week when we get up and leave. When you reach out and you love on someone that's unloved, when you care for somebody, when you're disciplined in your workplace and you keep integrity, when you seek to build a friendship with someone who needs to know Christ, when you gather in community a life group or take on a 10-week journey, when you choose to be baptized, to be able to get your allegiance to Christ, all that's a part of kingdom work, kingdom existence. I close with these two verses, both from Paul. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen? And 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Lord, I pray this morning as we close that you would take the gripping message of the bigger picture of the kingdom of God and you would shift our paradigm concerning something practical this week in our life. And Lord, may we not be walking around with our head hung low, but may our eyes be lifted up to the eastern sky when you will break through and you will come again. And may we live out this life in this day and age in light of eternity and the resurrection of the dead. Lord, we pray that you would take our lives and allow them to be honoring and beautiful to you. As we seek first your kingdom, 
as we labor and pray that your kingdom would come about on earth as it is in heaven and eternity someday in its fullness. May we be gripped with the epic, the tale that we've all fallen into. Lord, I pray for young people today, for our middle schoolers, for our high schoolers, for young adults. I pray, God, that you would take their life at an early age and know maybe there's some regrets that you would just bolster within them a determination to live all out, to live out loud for you and your kingdom, even in the midst of opposition and ridicule. Lord, for those of us who are laboring with job issues and raising children, may we see in the everyday experiences the beauty of living out your plan and your purpose. And may we not grow weary in well-doing, for you are calling out a people of your very own, eager to do what is good. And Lord, maybe if we're up in the years, people going to their 40th high school reunion and more, Lord, may we finish well and may we finish in light of eternity and the resurrection. Lord, bless us as a people in this church for as in Adam all die, but in you, Jesus, all will be made alive. We worship you. And God's people said, amen. I want to encourage you as we close with this song. Your Connect Cards has a place to mark. I'm committing my life to Christ, or I want to know more spiritually, or I'd like to be baptized. Baptism is one of the first steps you can do to live it out loud in the kingdom of God. Mark that. We'll follow up, answer questions. Over here is a prayer area. During our last song or even afterwards, there's people to pray with you. If you have concerns to be prayed with, questions to even ask, or maybe you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. Scripture says no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. You have to make the choice to repent and turn towards Jesus. But when you do, you get all the kingdom. Joe, lead us in this song. Ushers, come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, your connect cards, as well as your other inserts.